Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series. Catherine Walker is currently treading the boards as Hedda Gabler in a new version by Marco Rowe, directed by Annabel Common. Back and forth, she treads the boards 37 times in all. But more on that later. What unfolds in this recording is Catherine's focus on the work. The work, the work, the work. Her trust in the process, her disciplined timings, and what comes across as her fierce defence of Hedda Gabler, a character that breaks her heart every night. That's 37 hearts. Where Hedda ends, Catherine begins. We talk about vanity walls, her scoundrel school days, the London years, stage fright, and the joy of performing theatre in Ireland. It ends as softly as it begins. It's all about the work. Enjoy this podcast. Welcome, Catherine Walker. Thank you very much. Congratulations on the IFTA nomination for Patrick's Day. Thank you. Thank you. How did you find out? Did, did, uh... I actually found out by Marco Rowe. Okay. <laughs> He's got his finger on the pulse <laughs> yeah, of Mark. Yeah, he does. I came in for the matinee performance yesterday, for the Wednesday matinee, and Mark texted me. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, because I thought maybe the IFTAs had happened already, but... Um, I, um, I don't have my finger on the pulse of any of these things, as you can see. So, uh, yeah, no, I was delighted. I'm really delighted more than anything for the film. You are a friend of Terry McMahon. Is that I how am, yeah. that project uh, became? Yes, it is, actually. he Terry had, you know, there's a kind of, you know, a Mark would be a very close friend of Terry's too. And, um, you know, I suppose creatively we, we all talk about the work. It's very, you know, um, so Mark or Terry had given me the script to read early on, not with any view of me playing the part, just to read, just to get feedback on. And I fell in love with one of the parts, which on paper initially I would you wouldn't think of me for. Okay. And I remember it took ages because obviously I you know, that place of of trust when you are sharing the work like that. It isn't about what roles are yours or do you know what I mean? Or what you, you know, it's not about that. It's actually more important that we're talking about the work in a wider yeah. way, you know. So I didn't want to be going after you'd given me the script to go, can I, can I have a part? How did it differ? <laughs> how did it differ on paper? Um, how did it differ on paper than to you actually approaching it on film? Like, w- what were the changes necessary? Well, there wasn't. Okay. Other than, uh, no, it didn't change. It was just... I, I maybe maybe even physically as a type, okay. you wouldn't jump to me for okay. this type. But then as soon as I, when I got the courage to say to Terry, well just to, and then he had, a, I remember him going, actually, yes. And then she became me, if okay. you see what I mean. Yeah. Then yeah. the type shifted. Okay. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that was the journey of Patrick's Day, and 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 it was a wonderful. It's a, it was a wonderful script and a wonderful experience. I'm I'm, and Terry's extraordinary to work with. Well, um, fingers crossed for the awards at the yeah. end of May, I believe. Thank um, you. But you are no stranger to winning awards. I was reading through your <laughs> your bio in, in the program there, and I was just like, winner, 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 uh, which is nice. Um, <laughs> Irish Times Theatre Awards winner um, for uh, Bridgie Cleary, uh, Talk of the Town, and Streetcar. Yes. Uh, I often write, actually, and it isn't written in that, and I I, I should have changed that. I usually change it to awarded. 
Oh, is this a grammar thing? No, it's the kind of winner thing. I just, oh, right. I, I, you know, oh, true. Because yeah. it's, uh, you know, I find that kind of odd because there isn't such a thing. You can't really win, <laughs> you know. Well, you came so, first. Yeah, you're rewarded. So I, that's so. That's how I see it. But no, but I'm uh, sorry. I'm 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 not hearing your question. No, I, I don't. I'm not even certain what what the question was. It was well, actually, my question was, where do you keep these awards? Do you? Do you have a vanity wall? Do you have a <laughs> shelf of the Catherine Walker room? As I go. Well, actually, I used to hide them. I, I'd hide them. I, you know, you do that thing of where everybody goes, oh, we use them as a doorstop or something. <gasps> and then, um, but absolutely not. I remember my sister going, why would you hide them? There's something to be proud of. But that took you a while to, to get Yeah, onto. yeah, of course. Yeah. But I'm very proud of them. Um and the Irish Times Awards are wonderful and really important, I think. Mm. You know, um, I think it's important to celebrate the work and that's what awards do yes. more than anything else. You know, as I said, I don't kind of see it as winners or losers. I see it as being awarded something and celebrating the work. And that's why I think, you know, for all the nonsense that goes around it, they are really important, I think, um, for the industry. And the characters that you won for and beyond that, mm. these characters, they're so complex. They they have a streak of divilment in them there's, <laughs> yeah. and there's a brittleness in them. And then, yeah. there's this, and then there is a, a streak of strength. I presume because they're so complex, this is what draws you to mm. the, these characters. Mm. Um, can you identify with them? Is that is that what you're doing? Is oh, it, is I, always, I could only play a, car- a character that I identified with, really, I think. Um, Yes, what oh, I've been very lucky, actually, because um, very very lucky because um, most of the parts I've played is because I've felt a connection to them, and then been able to go on the journey, um, and that's really important to me. Um, uh, I, I have to have that connection. Do you lose yourself in these characters? I do when I'm. When I'm on the stage, yeah, or with within it, I, yeah, I, I do. I think. Um, I th- well, it's not so much that y- you lose yourself. I think what happens is what I love about, particularly about theatre, because of the process that we go through, and we've just had a, a wonderful process for Hedda. Because what's fantastic here is that there is a long rehearsal process, which I love, and it's you know it's very supported. There's the long rehearsal process, and then there's there's the long tech time and the preview time, and that's fantastic, and that's very, that's rare, and um, it's something that I I think is is wonderful that the Abbey does. Um, so what happens over that time? It's not so much that you get lost, is that you kind of don't know where you end and she begins. So you kind of, you know, you become intertwined rather than lost. Okay. I think. Is that not? exhausting for you is like I assume that you you switch off but I get the impression that you may not no I do no no I do I mean particularly with this I I, you know it took me a long time to learn that and it's different for every single part Um, some parts you you don't realise that you're living with a kind of say a kind of low-level depression that they're causing. Do you know what I mean? Until mm. it's over. 
I remember when I did Blackbird, which was, again, a fantastic experience, but it wasn't until it was over that I went, oh, my God, I've been in a kind of grey place for that whole time, and I didn't know I was. But I've got, as I've got older and uh, as I'm, you know, in the apprenticeship that that acting is, I'm learning better to to understand energy. Like, I'm, I'm very particular about with Hedda, I don't walk on with anything other than where I am in that day. So I'm not backstage building myself into being Hedda Gabler or thinking myself into a space. It all happens the minute I walk on and I trust that she's all in there. Okay. So you walk on and you say that all you all you have to do is walk on and say the first line and then it's it, it the journey goes from there. I was there. going to ask you from that mm. darkness of the scene doc onto the bright lights mm. of the main stage. I assume you're in the zone, but and and you're talking about trusting that you have done the work. Yeah, I mean, I love the, there's a magical process in theatre every day. The the uh, getting ready for a part and I'm kind of fastidious about my timings I have to have uh, you know a quarter past six I do this at half six I do this a quarter to seven I do this at seven o'clock I put on you know and and I can get very grumpy if anybody is that a, comes. Is that a superstition thing is that something no, that you've always done it's what a routine. I need it's like part it's just the preparation I need that routine I need things not to be chaotic okay I need there to be, you know, to know uh, um, that I can just step on in whatever place I'm at in, you know, in that day. But um, so, yeah, I need there not to be chaos or panic. Um, But no, as I get older, the more work I do, the more it's about actually, you know, maybe laughing before I go on and then walk on. It's trusting something happens when you step over that threshold something happens and I used to I used to spend much more time building in but actually you waste a lot of energy that way as I said it always varies part to part you do not know with this it's all about what Mark's written Um, and it it happens and from very early on I remember Mark saying that to me just trust it so uh, you know it's just about walking on and saying the first line and having that intention clear and the journey happens from there. And then suddenly it's two and a half hours later and I'm stepping off again. It's an extraordinary experience and it happens. And some nights she might be more fragile. Some nights she might be harder. Some nights she, you know, so it'll shift. But those shifts I'm very interested in because that means it's live. I've got no interest in going on and repeating and repeating and repeating and creating something that isn't connected emotionally. None whatsoever. So I can't, so the way to do that for me is to let it live in whatever way it's going to live. You know, the more, weirdly, the more, um, the more filming I do, the more of the, I used to think that filming and theatre were very separate and I've been lucky over the last couple of years to do quite a bit of filming and I'm starting to mix what I'm learning in both much more. I used to think they were separate, but filming really teaches you to be absolutely true in every moment. I was going to ask because mm. of your, your role in Critical um, mm. which is showing on Sky One and I would assume the immediacy and the fast pace of filming for screen mm. versus as you say the long lead in time for stage yeah it does require you to be in that moment because you're cutting I'm sure you're cutting all sorts of scenes that 
you know, do you not follow a chronological order? Well, or we were lucky in that in that particular show that we were able to because we were on a set, okay. so it was easier. But it's not, it doesn't all the time happen. But it was easier than most filming okay. experience was where you're jumping around all over the place. But you have found now that you can merge the two mediums um, in some way, as in I think so. I used to think that they were separate, and now I'm quite excited about what I learn, what I bring from each to the other. I mean, something like Critical, we were shooting for eight months. Uh, 13 episodes so what theatre gives you going into that is that you're really able to keep hold of your arc because theatre helps you that's that's what you do in theatre you start off in one place and two and a half hours later you're in a completely different place or you're alive or dead (laughs) in some (laughs) cases and um, um, so you're able to hold on to that and then with filming, which I bring back to theatre now, is that thing of being absolutely true in every moment and letting go of your arc in that moment, that it's not about playing all of those things. It's actually just playing the truth. Playing that moment. That moment, yeah. And so that really interests me coming back to theatre again after that, because I want what I would like. You don't always achieve it (laughs) and you're striving to achieve it um, and you hope you achieve it at some point through your run, but is that the evening is connected all the way through. Mm. I'm not interested in going out and kind of waving my arms around and pretending something, you know. Um, I mean, there's always, you know, there is artifice, but um, connection is much more important to me now. And talk to me about uh, the rhythm of Mark's writing. Um, This is a new version by Mm -hmm. Mark. Um, How did you approach that? Or have you approached the text of Hedda any, in any way differently to you would have approached something else, you know? Yes, it does need slightly... I mean, it was very... The, the difference was practical, really, um, because I did a line learn in a way that I wouldn't, for, wouldn't have to for other... Uh, working on other scripts. And I would consider myself after over the years, you know, quite a quick study with the lines, but with marks, you have to drill them. So it was it was practical more than anything else. So I um, worked with a, a lovely actor who would come and we would do two, three hours a night of just lines. Okay. So I did that, say, three nights a week during the rehearsal period. And that's different to often I can kind of learn on the floor, particularly if you have a six week period. Mm-hmm. It'll just kind of it'll go in. But with this, there had to be you know, there had to be um, the creative work, the, the I suppose in many ways, the academic work, the intellectual work, um, the creative work and the, the just practicality of rigorous line learning. And that was different. So that's the only thing that was really different okay. for me. Um, you mentioned, um, I suppose, being an apprentice. Can you take me back to, mm. to where it all began? Uh, where did the love of theatre come from in your household? My mum, my mum, and um, she loved theatre. She's always loved theatre. And there was uh, her cousins of hers who were involved, um, who were actors. Um, and she sent me to uh, speech and drama at the age of four. So myself, my brother and my sister went. The reason it was the reason I was four was just because they were going too. It wasn't that she was like, oh, my God, we're starting you at four. It wasn't anything like that. And it wasn't with any kind of it was just to do a class. Okay. 
so obviously my sister and brother were older, so the three of us went. This wonderful woman, Imelda Noon, was out in the north side. I grew up in Coolock, and she was just up near Northside Shopping Centre. And we would walk there every Monday. And I loved her. I stayed with her for 10 years. She was fantastic and did all of the kind of speech and drama thing, the fesh thing, all of that. So it was nothing about in any way going to auditions or it was not that okay. type of environment at all. That that never even entered our And did your brother and sister uh, follow through with any of no, that? No, my sister stayed doing it for a while. My brother was just like, it was an anathema to him, really. <laughs> he was like, what am I doing here? You know, but my sister was my sister was very good. My sister's d done um, a lot of work with. Uh, she lives now in Lewisburg, and she works with the Amateur Dramatic Society oh, there. Okay. So, and she's great. I remember then at fourteen, going to my first um, uh, summer course at the Gaiety School of Acting, and uh, being beside myself with happiness, and. Um, used to go and do all of their kind of part-time courses all through school and I was very lucky I went to Holy Faith in Clontarf it was a lovely school and they did we did very big productions like we did a big production of Fiddler on the Roof you know where we had a band in and there was money invested in the productions so I got to play hoddle and sing and do all of that so it's very lucky uh, in Holy Faith and they were very and actually John Dowling uh, um, I'm sure he won't mind me saying. Uh, Joe Dowling's brother was my vice principal. Okay. And um, he was amazing, amazing, um, amazing encouragement through my time because I wasn't, uh, I was a little bit bold in school. I had quite an end, you know, do you know, I wasn't the best behaved student. School didn't make that much sense to me. Okay. <laughs> so I wasn't the best behaved. I wasn't awful, but I was, you know, I would get into trouble a fair bit. I was kind of, um, so I would end up in John Dowling's office and he would say to me, okay, what is it? And we would talk through and then he would go, right, are you reading your Shakespeare? And is there anything you want us to get into the library for you? And he was incredible. Wow. Um, and yeah. so did you know when you were getting into all this delinquent behaviour, <laughs> did you know that, you know, academia wasn't going to be something you would pursue in that way? Because at this point, did you know that I'm going to pursue um, acting? Weirdly, I think I did always know. I did. Actually, I think I was very lucky in many ways with my family just completely accepted that. As I said, we didn't do any mad kind of going to auditions or, you know, that we didn't, all of that didn't cross our mind, doing any kind of child acting. I literally didn't do acting till I left drama school. But yes, I was always going to go to drama school um, after I left school. And how did drama school work for you? If, if you, if you, if you didn't buckle down, I suppose, in the secondary school and education system, did it just make sense that you're in drama school and there was a, because I assume there's a discipline there mm. and, and a training that mm. demands something of you. I mean, or did I, it agree with you? Yeah, I mean, I think I was very split in school. It wasn't that it was because I loved English, you know, so I adored English and writing. So there was, you know, it was just the rest of it. <laughs> and I didn't apply myself very well. It was always, I was one of those, does not apply herself, mm. has potential, but does not apply <laughs> herself. That, I think that was the continual thing. But no, it wasn't that school was 
and it was a very lovely school and I had um you know a great group of friends there actually who were all coming in Saturday week to the show um so it wasn't you know a horrendous experience or anything where I'm right. going oh my god I need to be in drama class and there was a lot of drama yeah you know we had a lovely drama teacher and she I remember doing come and go Beckett's come and go so yeah. you know myself yeah. into you know at, at whatever 16 so you know I wasn't starved it was it was starved of it and I and I continued as I said doing all kind of part-time courses alongside it but yes I always knew and then then when it came to the end of school I I mean, I really wanted to go. I, I had the real thing of I really wanted to get out of Ireland. I wanted to go to London. I wanted what age like, are you here. At so this point? I would have been 18. Mm-hmm. I came out of school at 19 because we did the six years, but a very young 19 year old. My God, when I think of it, you know, yeah. you know, a bit more like a 16 year old, really. <laughs> um, but I always wanted to go to London, um, but couldn't afford to do that. And then I applied to the gay team got in and was was thrilled and, and I had a great time there. I remember being so thrilled to be there. I loved it, you know. And what came after the gaiety? Because did you go straight from the gaiety to a job? There's always that odd transition mm. from drama school mm. to what do you do next? And whether yeah. agents come to your showcase or... Yeah. I was lucky to get an agent at the end of our, in our school, whatever, showcase. Okay. I got signed to an agent, which was great. Um, which I actually, it was a real blessing. There's been lots of those blessings along the way because I really didn't have the self-confidence. It's taken me kind of years to get that. You know, I just didn't have the kind of, I was very shy. I was quite mute, actually, really. Um, and uh, so you I had mute. Sorry, Catherine. Well, I was just very. It, it wasn't so much. A, it was. So, it's hard to describe. It wasn't because I I could be very mouthy. It's hard to describe. You didn't have. I think I remember talking about this with a friend recently. It was a really different time coming out. You know, you didn't come out going, "Okay, I can do it. I can take." You came out going, "Will anybody ever give me a job?" You couldn't believe that you would ever get a job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There was ne- there wasn't, you know, God, I could go to L.A. or I could go to I- London or I could go and I can go and take on the world. There was, there, was, there was just like, oh, my God, would I ever, ever, would anybody ever employ me? Well, students seem now to have a much more business sense of it. Yes. Do you know? Oh, my God, that didn't exist yeah. at all when I came out. And I, that's fantastic. You know, that that's absolutely fantastic. And I just I think that's glorious. I think it's brilliant to have self, that kind of self-confidence coming up. But I didn't. So... I my agent took me on and I did I did a job here. I did King Lear here, second age. That wasn't long after I left. And then actually Ben Barnes took me over to the tricycle okay. to do Sive. And that was your leap from, from Ireland to, to the UK. Yeah. And I went and I did Sive in the tricycle and uh, I stayed. Um, but the turning point really came for me about it was about six months after I did Sive, I got got a call to go into the RSC, and they were doing um, Brian Friel's version of A Month in the Country. Okay. So hence why, because it was very closed doors. I remember I just again that was luck, that was serendipity because I remember my agent saying, um, the RSC and the National aren't doing. Um, open auditions at the moment so you can't get in for an open audition 
And I can't remember the timeline, but it was like a week later or something like that, her ringing me going, I don't know how this has happened, but you've just gotten an audition for the RSC. And it was basically she was pushing for an open audition when they were looking for a young Irish actress to play Vera in Month in the Country. So it was just one of those things that um, Maggie Lunn, Maggie Lunn, the casting director at the time, picked up my wow. CV. Okay. So I came in and I met Michael Boyd and Michael Attenborough. Michael Boyd was doing Troilus and Cressida. And um, I pretty much got the job that day. And uh, that changed everything. Then I spent two and a half years at the RSC, which is where I really believe that I did my, you know, my training. Not that I didn't have done drama, mm. but, you know, yes, my you know, apprenticeship. apprenticeship. Yeah, and I absolutely loved my time there. I just loved it. So I went on then to do uh, Henry V and Richard II. So probably working with the RSC, you're, you're probably not defined or deemed an Irish actor. You, you know, uh, you're well, an that's what Would was that again. That was lucky. I because I went in Irish because mm. they were looking for for a young Irish actress to play Vera. They were doing the whole cast was not that everybody was Irish, but they wanted a kind of Irish accent feel to it. They wanted um, and the, again, and the same with Troilus and Cressida. Um, but when they asked me to come back for the second season, I was brought back playing Kate in Henry V. So she's French and the Queen and Richard II, who is also French, but, but English. So I came back not playing Irish. And that did make a massive difference to me over there, because sometimes... Of course, yeah. yeah. You're pigeonholed. Yeah, yeah. So so you have... What are the London years like then? Well, they are... After that, that was a fantastic time. That was, again, like I described earlier, that was the person coming out thinking they could would never get a job, like... I, I couldn't believe I, I was there and I ate it up I have to say you know you're living in theatre town Were and there were there any um, gaps of, of employment like oh did you have god. to build up that resilience Oh my god after that so I had that kind of flurry that was I came out of the RSC then what would I have been I went in at like 23 as I was came out at 26 God that's young and then then I had a really dark time and nothing nothing I was kind of because I suppose because I think as well I had because I that had happened to me I hadn't developed the muscle for going into meetings or even that persona that you have to have sometimes none of that I was kind of off being able to be pure in the RSC to the work you know what I mean I had not no so I came out and got a bit of a rude awakening and how did you build up that resilience then how did or where did you get the Afterwards, yeah, in those in those dark times, how did you? Well, it was funny. I was dropped by an agent. I remember that being quite devastating. You know what I was going to do? Going through questions of going, maybe that's it. Maybe I've had my innings. Maybe that. Maybe that was. You know, I'm not cut out for it because I found it all so upsetting. I couldn't really manage. London felt crazy to me. I couldn't manage going into rooms. I couldn't. I kind of walked into rooms and froze. You know, into auditions and froze. And I just couldn't, um, I just didn't have the self-confidence. And um, Is it just with maturity that that persona, that kind of media savvy persona is created that I assume now when you walk in, if you even have to audition, you have a veneer, a shield? I'm better at it. I wouldn't say that the, I'm, I'm better at it, but it can still go like 
auditions are the weirdest things in the world. Do you know what I mean? You can, you, you never know really what's going to happen when you walk into the room, you know? Um, so yes, no, I have, div I'm better. Um, but I, I, I think because I really feel like I own my craft more, I, I, you know, I go, okay, you want me or you don't want me. I, you know, I don't need you to tell me whether I can do this or not, actually, you know. Um, I think it's just through work uh, that I feel more confident, it's just through doing it. And I've been very lucky that with the roles I've played, that the, the, the muscle that they build, you know. I was watching Hedda on, on opening night and there was, there was a look that passed your face when you're sitting on the couch with Declan uh, playing Judge Bracknell mm. that took Hedda from being what I would think just this mean girl that's, mm. that's quite toxic and yet I just felt sympathy for her. Mm. Um, whatever way, you know, you did it, you just looked crestfallen. Mm -hmm. um, mm. She breaks my heart every night, completely breaks my heart. I find her utterly heartbreaking. Um, is she is she a coward like no no I think no I mean <sighs> she had ways to to get beyond that door mm, like mm. Thea you know leaves her husband and and and, and has, has courage I think um, to pursue something that she wanted and Hedda just seems to be her own worst enemy. Mm -mm. She's trapped. Yeah, she's completely trapped and she ends up kind of trapping herself. I mean, one of the things I love about this set is that there are no walls, mm. you know, um, and I think that's fantastic because uh, she's doing it to herself in many ways. Um, she is suffocating before your own eyes. Mm. You just you can see that. Mm. I mean, one of the things that I loved that Annabelle said to me early on, which I absolutely love and I treasure, is that she said, you know, this is not about somebody going towards death, this is about somebody fighting to be alive. And I just think that that's brilliant. And, you know, um, more than anything, that's what I pl try to play with her. That she, you know, it's not about death, it's not about, it's how does she, how does she create life? How does she, how does she live? How does she feel? How does she connect? And um, how has does she create something? Has know? she lived? Has, has, you know, because she, she asked that question in it, mm. but has Hedda, has she lived? I think she's fight, she's been objectified so much. Everybody has an idea of Hedda Gabler. It was actually one of the things that I really thought about that I had to deal with playing it was something that Hedda goes through, is the idea of playing Hedda Gabler, the iconic role. And that was the first thing that I had to kind of get rid of, because that's just death for me to try and play Hedda Gabler, the icon. You know, I, it's just, that's dead theatre, it's going to die. And um, she goes through a little bit, that's what's happening to her. Everybody goes, but you're Hedda Gabler, you're Hedda Gabler. You're, you're you know... It's funny, Everybody wants a bit ahead of Gabler, you know. She's she's the general's daughter, but then mm. she's she's certainly not Tesman's wife. He's her husband. Mm. But 
actually, just what you were saying there, I, I think I might have read a reference that you mentioned earlier that you gleamed um, aspects, I suppose, of, of Hedda's character from celebrities. You yeah, know, yeah. everyone wants a bit of her. Yeah. Uh, do we, well, it's that idea that, that of the people who end up in those kind of gilded cages. You know, I think it's fascinating the celebrity culture that we're in. I mean, it's just horrendous. You know, and somebody like, I don't know, Jennifer Aniston or something, you know, that they they seem to have everything and they're actually trapped in a big house with security gates in L.A., mm. really. And then they're hounded when they walk outside their doors, you know, and everybody wants a little bit of them. Um, How do you and feel so their then? world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It doesn't oh. surprise me that Hedda Gabler doesn't want to go outside her door. Yeah, Does it surprise me that she's judgment. become agoraphobic, which I think she is? Um, and uh, it, because everybody had an idea of, you know, of, I mean, Tessman has the prize. She was the prize. Um, and the one person she believes might know her ends up just really wanting to have her, mm. you know. And that's why she rejects him as well physically. I don't think she wants to receive anything, you know. What does Hedda want then? I mean, I I, I know she mm. that she wants to live. She wants to breathe and um, experience everything. I would assume, mm. and and not to feel trapped. Mm. But what? Yeah. What does she? What does she want from life? If if well, she obviously wants to be her own person yeah. and not dependent. On these men, yeah, and this and this definition that's been poured on her, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's I, one of my favorite lines in it is when she says to asks Loveborg whether he has ever been alive, really alive, and um, um, I think she because she's breaking new ground ground that that hasn't been broken before she doesn't know there's nothing that she can't look to a template and go this is where I'd like to be um, I think she is so sharp and bright that she's going something doesn't sit right within this society something thing, the things the way that people are being and telling me that that's alive but that's not alive that couldn't be alive something tells me it's, it's not and so I think it's an instinct with her. And she's searching for something that um, I don't know if anybody she's searching for something that uh, that she can't see, if you know what I mean. She can't go out. It hasn't been done yet. Weirdly. She's an anarchist as well. Um, so she's there's just something that's not correlating yeah. within this society that she lives in. And it seems to be, there's a fight for survival because there seems to be this need to want to own her, possess her, have her, control her, have power over her. And she is going absolutely no fucking way. This is not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to be owned and possessed in this way. You mention um, you mentioned the lack of privacy that people in the public eye, I suppose. Mm. Are you ready for 
the lack of privacy that being on a on critical will will bring you. Oh, I don't think that's anything to worry about there. No, no. I don't. I don't get recognised, and that's what I, I don't. I my no. I just think if you don't, I I have a thing of I don't watch things when they're on, and then you don't really know they're happening. If you don't know they're happening, it's they don't doesn't exist. affect you. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. You know, I don't engage with the world of it. I'm being told more and more by agents and stuff that you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to have a Twitter and be talking about it and all that. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't really um, engage with it. It's lovely if somebody stops you and says something. It's that's always lovely. And if somebody says something about the work, you know, I always think that's so um, brave do you know what I mean and so generous for somebody to say something but no I don't think there'll be uh, if 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 you think about it that'll happen I remember an actor I know who is who is who um, would be recognised all the time from a kind of cult film that he did and I remember him saying that to me he was going well if I you know if I make that my world then I will notice that and people will, okay. you know. But if, if you don't, if you go, it was just the work that exists over there, it's fine. Nobody will come, you know. You have, you have a very strong work ethic. It is all about the work. Mm. Um, I saw you the other day um, running up the stairs on, on Wednesday. The, oh God, the, was the, I the, talking to myself or something? No, no, you, you, the thing was, you were beaming. You just came in by stage door and you just had this really broad smile on your face and I assume you just jogged up the stairs <laughs> for a two-show day. Um, it's the work that makes you happy? Yes, very much so. Oh God, yeah. And um, I mean, I've had my times. I've gone through, I, I went through a very bad bout of stage fright on a couple of things. I'll touch wood so that really? it doesn't come back. Um, and I was just checking that I had that on silent. Uh, and um, so, and I did a kind of, I, I kind of, ha- I had to stop working for a couple of months. Um, I had to properly draw a line under work and say to my agent, look, I need time out. I was kind of burnt out. I mean, you know, uh, as I remember, um, an acupuncturist saying to me, "Your adrenal glands are blown. You're just blown. You're just the ner- my nerves were gone a little okay. bit." You you finished out the show, mm. and and I just I knew I had to take some time off mm. because I actually had the fear, and that was the best thing I ever did. Actually, that was about uh, three four years ago, and I took six months off, and I kind of went on a journey. I I went to see a therapist going, I just want, I don't need to talk about my childhood. I just Mm -hmm. want to look at this one thing that's happening. I kind of, you know, went on retreats and went on, did you know, I I began to build myself as well. I I could find nothing on stage fright, so I began to kind of put my own programme together of how to deal with it or how to... How How does stage fright manifest itself then? Um, well... It's if you can't, if you're continually standing outside yourself w- watching. How it manifested for me was that I couldn't drop in. I couldn't just be there. I was kind of ending up in a bit of a torture. You know, I was torturing myself. I couldn't drop into it. I couldn't get away. F- I, I couldn't relax at all. And, you know, to the point that sometimes you do things and you come off and you have no idea what you've just done, you know. Um... And it was probably something that I needed to shift within myself. I think I see it as a blessing because I think it really helped my work. 
or maybe even it was something creatively that I was going, you're working in the wrong way. You're burning out in the wrong way, that you need to work a different way. Have you found a different way to work? Yeah, I think, um, as I said, I'm much more, I'll step on rather than spend lots of time building myself into a crisis (laughs) (laughs) to find emotion. I trust that it'll come much more. Um, And uh, I... I mean, the reason I spoke about that is because you talked about the joy. I, I, I feel great joy and privilege doing it. And you know, one of the things with Hedda is um, it's a short time and it's over in the blink of an eye. I walk on and it's over and I am determined to cherish every one of them and not waste time being nervous I mean, nerves will pop up. They do, and they're good, and they're fuel when they're right, when they're the right nerves. Um, but you go, I won't ever get to do this again. You know, and she particularly, I mean, she, there is a reason why this play keeps being done. Um, every night she surprises me and amazes me, and she's so incredibly complex as a character, and you don't get, you don't get that very often. So I am determined every time that I come in to go, I'm going to treasure this performance um, because I only do it whatever I think in total whatever it is so it's but you're on you're you're up there almost every moment of I know but it's over in a heartbeat it's quite extraordinary it's quite extraordinary you don't feel the time passing you're no no not at all I mean not I, I, she's tiring it's probably one of the most tiring things I've done you do um, but no so I do I, I treasure it I just I, I love it I, I feel I really and this isn't just words. I feel incredibly privileged to to do this, and this maybe above everything else. Actually, this I just role. yeah, I just uh, she's completely. I, I I it was funny. I was just talking to Mark Rowe about this morning. I said I, I definitely, without a doubt, it's one of the most rewarding things. Has it changed you as an actor? This role or changed your approach? Or I don't know. I probably won't know that till later. Hmm. So I couldn't answer that now. Um, Because you never think you're going to get there. That's the thing. I mean, that's the great challenge of theatre. I mean, it's 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 great. Bloody hell, it's terrifying. (laughs) Because you just don't know. You know, you go into it with ideas, but it's a strange, you know, and for some people, I won't be their header. For lots of people, I won't be their header. You know, had you seen header? In no. various other incarnations before. I've never seen it. I never, I. never seen mm. it. I love doing theatre more than anything in Ireland. I love it. I, I love walking to the Abbey Theatre. I love walking to a theatre. I love not, you know, I, I have very little desire now to do theatre in the UK. Interesting. I go there to film. Because Why I've, is that? Well, I just, well, I've been spoiled here in the sense of, one of the th- I don't want to be getting on tubes and going and doing shows. It's so, as I said, you know, I'm kind of fastidious about my yeah. process, my and um, one, uh, you know, one of, or about my prep in the day for the show. And I, I never failed to to get overcome with joy when I walk through Trinity into the Abbey and I can walk into work. Mm. Maybe listen to a bit of music or maybe not. Or it's wonderful and walk home after a show. And so I love. I I love theatre here. I I love the theatre makers here. I love the writers I get to work with, the directors, the actors. Um. I was going to ask you, 
as a closing question, why is it you do what it is you do? But I think you've answered that. Catherine Walker, we'll leave it there. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thanks very much.